Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. Uh, we're continuing on this morning with our ongoing series, Women in Leadership. We have with us today Miss Mrs. Uh, Marcy Dombrowski. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we get to our guest, I want to acknowledge our sponsor for this morning's uh, interview. That is the Molina Law Group here in Springfield, Oregon. The Molina Law Group is a local immigration law practices, practice that has offices here in Springfield at the John Highland Business Park, uh, 4660 Main Street. They have a satellite office in Cottage Grove, Oregon, and another satellite office in Beaverton, Oregon. Uh, Molina Law Group can represent you and your family or friends in any area that is needed in immigration law, whether it's student visa, fiance visa, work permit, citizenship or residency. Molina Law Group can be found on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Their phone number is 541-653-8899. I'm going to begin by reading Marcy's bio, and it's important to me to read her bio and her words. This is her story. This is her leadership journey, and this is how she condensed, tried to condense what a full life of leadership, a full life of achievement into a, a way that would help us understand more about her historical perspectives on life. Marcy's words. <clears throat> in looking back as a child, I was always interested in being part of a group, helping to make a difference or change. I enjoyed being on committees and work, and work groups. In high school, I worked as a volunteer in kindergarten helping kids learn to read and serve as a tutor for those that needed academic help. I excelled in school. Math and science were my strong subjects. I grew up a Girl Scout successful in fundraising and cookie sales. Who doesn't love Girl Scout cookies? Later, it only felt natural to become a Girl Scout for my own girls. As a leader, I can make a difference and watch the growth of the girls in my troop. I have always been a planner, organizer, and very detail-oriented. I plan and train volunteers for the various roles in fundraising and activities. I volunteered for Eugene Forge School District and Junction City Schools while my children were young as well. After graduating high school in Eugene in 1984, I studied business management and marketing at U of O graduating in 1988. Oh, U of O is University of Oregon, for those that are not, are not from here. I enjoyed management and marketing projects at school and in work and working with, uh, with groups. I also got married that year. I began working in advertising sales for about six years that evolved into pharmaceutical and medical sales where I worked for 16 years. I had my children during this time frame and was able to work flex time in my work life and raise my kids which required a lot of balance. I began early on to keep a book of my accomplishments and awards, which always seemed to help as I moved in on, moved up in my career path. I would never, I would say I never had a truly defined career path, but I was always looking for a new challenge and took promotions as a way to continue to grow. One of my advertising clients recruited me into medical sales, which at the time was a great opportunity since I was starting my family and there was a lot more work-life balance and flex time opportunities in this industry. In medical sales, starting as a territory manager and moving to a senior role allowed me to mentor and train new representatives. 
I was recruited to work in insurance sales, specifically Medicare sales, about 11 years ago where I remain today. I worked, in, I worked as both a broker, independent, and as a captive agent employee. As a self-starter, this industry is a good fit because I manage my workday in large territory the way I see fit. I began in the industry working for a large national health insurance company where I gained skills and training and ventured into a broker role after realizing I could better represent my clients with a portfolio of products. I am all about building relationships and rely on referral business. My most recent three years with Providence as a Medicare specialist came at a good time. I work for a not-for-profit company and share the same values and mission will allow me to work in a field where I help others. My mission is to help ease your way, quote unquote, through the Medicare maze for those aging into Medicare. That's going to be me soon, Marcy, so hopefully you're still around to help me. The company values are compassion, dignity, justice, excellence, and integrity, which are words to live by. The company vision is health for better world and company promise is is know me, care for me, ease my way. It is a natural fit for, for me working for a company with a rich heritage dating back to the mid 1800s when the Sisters of Providence traveled to the Northwest and this was the start of the healthcare system in Washington and Oregon. Providence has allowed me to develop leadership skills and focus on education and consulting which are very rewarding. My face-to-face -face Medicare classes are currently virtual through webinars. Hoping to be back in the senior communities and senior centers conducting my Medicare 101 and Providence seminars in the near future. Although I am still in the sales role, the value for me comes from making a difference in the lives of my clients and mentoring those new to the industry. I plan to stay in the industry and with this company taking on more of a leadership role. I am on various work group committees, which include improving company functions where we can improve as caregivers, which all employees are referred to as, and how to improve access to health care for our members. It is the most rewarding position I have held and a good balance of the skills I have developed over the years. Once in retirement, I see myself volunteering and assisting seniors through uh, organizations such as SHIBA and AARP. Over the years, the volunteer experience I have enjoyed is through the United Way, School Volunteer for 4J and J Junction City Schools, and fundraising for team sports and dance teams. Marcy Dombrowski, welcome to Molina Leadership Solutions Women in Leadership Series. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Mark, and thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really excited to have you here. I'm excited. Uh, I really appreciated your bio. It was very thoughtful, very intentional. I know that there is, there are many other historical facts you could have proposed, but I felt like your bio was comprehensive in regards to you. You the person, you the mom, you the wife, you the employee, you the community servant, you the community volunteer, and how that was formed and fashioned over many years of participation. Now, for those that are listening, I did send Marcy some questions, but I want to just ad lib here for a little bit. I met Marcy about 20 years ago, I think now it's been, and she and her husband Matthew actually came to mine and Abigail's wedding 17 years ago 
on Sunday. <laughs> and so we mm -hmm. had a, a chance to know them a little bit, and their daughters were young at that time. Now their daughters are college-educated and adults. Uh, Marcy, your bio was filled with volunteerism. Mm -hmm. And I think that for those that would desire to grow in the arena of leadership, in your opinion, how necessary and crucial is volunteering for the development of not just the leadership skills, the emotional skills, the communication skills, and understanding the community in which they're living? I would say it's crucial. Uh, volunteering has really allowed the balance between my work life, my family life. It allows me to give back to my community. And a lot of the skills that I have today are, are from those foundations uh, building uh, within the volunteering uh, part of the community. I believe that no matter how professional or how much of a role you have in your job, you always have time to give back and it only makes you better, it makes you a better employee, it makes you a better mother, a better wife. And um, I'm going on 33 years now as a wife. So <laughs> a lot of experience there. Well, I appreciate the observation that regardless of who we are, what we're doing, we always have time to give back. And <clears throat> I believe that volunteerism is a much misunderstood component of leadership development and ways that uh, for the young people, especially whether it's volunteering with scouts or volunteering as a assistant soccer coach or a soccer referee or or uh, working in a senior center or some kind or YMCA, I think we have a responsibility to learn to give back at a very early age. And for you specifically, who? Tell me a little bit about your mom, a little bit about your dad. What kind of things did you learn from them in the arena of leadership and volunteerism? Definitely uh, the foundation was started with my own family. Uh, my mother was my Girl Scout leader. She was very organized. She just taught me the value of giving and uh, was very active as a mother and as a volunteer. She worked outside the the home only briefly, but mostly was there to manage our households. And uh, my father worked a full-time career um, as a leader and he actually retired. So at the same job that he started in. So it's a little bit different now um, in the sense there's a lot more mobility and a lot of more movement, but my very traditional family was one, one career, the mother home, and the foundation of serving and leading. And I believe that a lot of uh, who I am today is because of that, because of watching and growing. And, and to this day, they're still married. They're still, they're still a, a happily married couple. So good foundation. Things have changed for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those that are listening, we, for all of us, things have changed. You may not have known, for those that are listening, you may not have known the family life as Marcy's described. I did as a child uh, regarding the mother being able to stay home. But after our father died, I was seven. I was the youngest of seven children. He had just retired from the military, multiple tours of combat, two foreign wars, Marcy. And mm -hmm. despite that, 
Our mother found time to keep us involved in Scouts and be our den mother for me and my twin brother and Cub Scouts and the Girl Scout leader for one of my sisters who was in Girl Scouts and made sure that our older brother, one of our older brothers, was always at Boy, Scout, uh, Boy Scouts. Uh, scouting, in my estimation, is a superior leadership development model because it gives all the children that are involved an opportunity to lead and especially to learn to lead. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely agree. I remember our mother would, uh, back in the day when we had those big Bonneville cars and the Girl Scouts wore their green skirts and their little berets and their green vest and their white shirts and their white gloves. And she'd get, all the cookie sales would come in and she'd load up that big Bonneville trunk full of all their cookies. And my twin brother and I would be sitting up front and the girls, the back seat held usually four to five Girl Scouts in their uniform and they'd go from door to door delivering those cookies. Uh, happy memories, yeah? Absolutely. I spent countless hours going door to door and selling in front of the grocery stores and all about hitting that goal, setting that goal at a young age and, and pushing myself. So I can relate and I loved it. You know, for those that are listening, it's important. Why, why is this important? Because we have to find opportunities to develop, opportunities for our children to develop. There's different forms of education. You can gain as much leadership development and volunteerism as you can in the ongoing academic classroom at a university, and sometimes even more, because you meet people from all walks of life and you develop new and different skills in communication, uh, emotional intelligence, having a, a respect for people's different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so for Marcy, when I, all of you have heard her bio, and I asked her a lot of questions on the questions I sent her regarding scouting. And I'll tell you why, Marcy, because I grew up poor and the kids in our neighborhood were poor. And the kids that participated in scouts and the, we participated in scouts came from poor families. And scouting gave us an opportunity to lead and to learn to lead regardless of the lack of socioeconomic opportunities. And that's what I love about scouting. Did you see that? Did you see in your development as a child, were you aware of what the opportunity was? And as you became a leader for yourself, for your daughters in scouting, what were some of the differences, the observations you made now from a different perspective? Yeah, I absolutely um, can appreciate your, your um, look at scouting um, across the socioeconomic lines. I saw it all too. Uh, no matter where, what your background, no matter how you grew up, uh, broken home, uh, poor, um, more well-to-do families, everybody had an equal playing field in scouting and nobody was denied an opportunity based on, of course, finances or family status. You know, obviously I tried to recruit volunteers to help with different facets such as volunteering for fundraising and some families couldn't do it. They had one a one income 
uh, family, like single mothers who I've always highly respected. How in the world can they manage a family and do it all? You just can't. You have limitations. So um, no matter what your background, it was an equal playing field for all the girls that I mentored. And to this day, really do keep in touch with a lot of these girls who are women. You know, my my children are adults now, and um, I've seen what it's done for them and for their peers, regardless of their backgrounds. Absolutely. Well, you know, I went on to serve as a Cub Master and a Scout Master myself as an adult. And it's interesting when we completed our time as Cub Scouts, this was 1973, maybe. Uh, it was still a there were still some challenges in our, in our nation and there was no Weebolo units mm -hmm. uh, that would take uh, non-white children. Mm. So my, my mother petitioned through VFW, Veteran of Foreign Wars, where my dad was a leader, uh, through the Boy Scouts of America uh, in San Antonio to take us kids that couldn't find a Weebolo pack, that if we would be accepted into the Boy Scout troop, at 10 instead of 12 we had to wait till you were 12 or 13 and boy scouts allowed recognize the issue and allowed us to become boy scouts earlier than what was considered um, the the, pro, the process and our troop leader mr thompson we called him the duke because he walked like john <laughs> wayne because he still had shrapnel in his hip from World War II. He was a combat veteran from World War II. And so he kind of had that John Wayne swagger. And so we all called him the Duke. And he was a great man. Uh, loved him. Uh, to this day, he gave all of us poor kids that no one else would accept an opportunity to belong. And that's what I love mm -hmm. about scouting. It gives all children to participate an opportunity to belong. So I don't, I, I didn't really know this conversation would go down that direction, but I see from your bio that you love people, that you care mm -hmm. about people, and it's important to you how people are doing. You have a lifetime of volunteer, volunteerism. Talk, talk to us a little bit about your love for people. Well, I think from the very beginning, uh, from scouting all the way to now, it really set that foundation for me to really care and to make a difference. And um, I have always followed a path in my career as well as at home where I'm always giving back. So for me, I, I just feel a void if I'm not doing something in that arena where I'm not giving back. I, from naturally as a, as a um, new mom, volunteering in the classroom, I saw the voids in the classroom. And yes, I worked, but I still found time to do it. And again, the opportunity was was great because I had a, a very uh, supportive spouse and family. Um, I don't know that everyone has that opportunity to be able to do a little bit of both, have a full-time career and volunteer at the same time. But for me, it was a balance and giving back in the classroom and it, it Going back to the days I tutored and helped kids learn to read, that always remained in my in my memory. How, just seeing the kids' faces light up when they could read, when they could speak, um, and and they were the ones that needed the most help, the ones that I was assigned. So I feel like those those um, the historical uh, 
experience I had back in the 80s, back when I was in early in high school, starting to tutor kids learning to read, stuck with me through my whole life. And as my own children grew, they had opportunities that other kids did not. And so giving back and working in a school that was more diverse in a population, um, of all backgrounds, all socioeconomic and minority backgrounds, it really gave me an opportunity to even help kids that were not English speakers from the start. So I just felt a real, a real passion for that. And to this day, um, I am still helping seniors. It's, it's a different avenue. It isn't necessarily young children, but seniors who I find need just as much help. I mean, there is so much that, um, so much that the seniors um, face every day in their communities. Um, sometimes it's it's all about there's senior fraud, there's abuse, and to look for those things and to really help, um, to really make a difference and be kind of a, um, I, I use the phrase ease your way because my role is really to ease your way and to help you through the system, help you navigate if you get stuck and you don't know where to go, you don't know in the medical community, in the healthcare community, even resources for tax preparation, you know, call me, I'm a resource for you. And, and so I feel like my entire life has been of all ages from children to adults really helping. And, and I just can't see myself stopping. I see myself retiring one day and still giving back and volunteering for some of these really reputable organizations that really warm my heart. Well, that, it, it excites me to hear how much you learn love to teach children to read. Because if you can read and you have good comprehension skills, you can figure out just about anything in life. Agreed. And, and you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, Marcy, but I did this study on prisons in America. And they look for the population of where children do not know how to read to determine where they're going to build their next prison. And if children haven't learned to read well by the time they're seven, that's the population that they're looking for to build the next prison. Did you know that? You know, I actually, one of my daughters took some courses um, through her degree. I have one that my youngest is graduating this year from college. And one of her courses was on uh, the prison system. And it was fascinating to me. I actually read one of her books. Um, I'm, and for the life of me, I'm trying to think of the name of it. But it was about prison reform and about the, the preventive, how to prevent prison and, and criminal um, behavior at, at a young age. And I'll get you that link on what that book is, but it was fascinating. It really opened my eyes as to um, prison being reform versus rehabilitative. What's, what kind of, um, you know, what are we creating in our country and the stats for where we were versus where we are now with incarceration. And so there's gotta be something that we do to intervene. And, and so I, I, this was just this last year. So it's funny you brought that up. I, I read that book and it opened my eyes. Yeah, there's no doubt, you know, we're the most incarcerated planet on the nation, even though we're free. Mm -hmm. So we, we, you're right, we have a lot of work to do. Observationally, I'm intrigued and I'm fascinated by your role. Your role as a young woman growing up, 
the role you learned from your mother, the role you played as a young mother yourself and as a wife, and as you transition to a new era of your life, you are still, you are cross-generational and cross-intersectional with how you're helping and serving others. I can only imagine the stress and the distress on the elder elderly community to have to figure out all these forms online, all the complications, and you are still the young lady that was teaching children to read in kindergarten. That heart is still with you now as you're helping the elderly learn to read policies and navigate policies. Your value system, you are the woman that you are today was the young woman that you were in the classroom teaching children to read in kindergarten. How did you not lose that sense of service? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's just innate. It's something that I, I've always felt in my, you know, deep inside of me is it's a part of who I am. Um, you know, obviously the way I was raised helped. I mean, obviously I saw just from my own family's history and, you know, not everything is rosy. There was always issues with within our family of um, crime and, um, you know, health issues. So I've seen a lot of things like that as well. It isn't it wasn't all rosy growing up, but it did. Um, the foundation from a child to now really stayed with me. And I think a lot of it was stemming from Girl Scouts, stemming from having a mother that was home, that was nurturing. And as a newly married uh, woman at 22, right out of college, I joined a family that was extremely traditional and um, had a mother-in-law who was almost just as supportive and um, giving as my own mother. So I was blessed. I really was blessed. But I think what it's made me see is that not everybody has those opportunities. And that's where there's that void. You know that you can make a difference. And you sleep well at night knowing that what you have inside of you, you're reaching out and helping others. You're helping them learn. You're helping them grow. And to see a child that really would fall through the cracks, succeed, and help that child perhaps become a leader one day, um, have a great career one day, have a family one day. It just, it, it really is something that just gives you great pride and joy. And I, to this day, I feel like with my senior population that I serve, I feel like there are so many, there's so much need out there and I can't possibly do it all, but I feel like I make a difference in what I do. And I really stay in business because I help one and that person passes it on and I help another. And so that's why I can't see myself truly retiring. I feel like I will probably give till my time's up. So <laughs> it's that, it's just part of me. It's innate. I, I can't really pinpoint exactly how, but the patterns through my life have led me to here and I can't see changing at this point. It's just part of who I am. <laughs> well, knowing your husband, I'm sure that's the case for both of you. You guys are going to go full throttle until your last breath. 
Okay. Yes, and you know, he's wonderful. We've had our ups and downs just like any marriage, but that foundation really helped. And I had some health issues um, early on in our marriage and he stayed uh, true through that and stayed with me and uh, survived. And uh, we have thrived because of that. I just think a lot of it comes down to the family support mechanisms that we had. I had um, very involved parents, very involved family. And I try never to take that for granted because I know, like I said earlier, that not everybody has those that upbringing. And so I try to always keep that in perspective when I'm talking with others. Very good. Very, that's, that's very good to hear. I want to get to some of these questions. I want to uncover more of your life for the listeners. Those that mm -hmm. are watching, uh, tell us something about you that is not on your resume or your bio. You know, a lot of times what's on your resume has to do with your professional career. So there's always those things that you don't put on, but you want to because they really are a culmination of everything else you do. So I would say that for me, just my passion for traveling uh, is something that I'm always planning the next trip. I'm always ready to go um, because that kind of keeps me balanced. I really love uh, cooking, very much into cooking of all facets of, of cooking. Um, health and wellness. Uh, never really was, as a child, really big on health and wellness, but until I was sick and then I needed to be, and now I make it a point to always put that high on my priorities as far as keeping well, because I definitely see my current senior population, those that age well, those that don't, and the limitations, and having a um, family member uh, with Alzheimer's pass away um, sort of also was another factor in shaking me up on how important taking care of yourself is. So Very good. that's that's really what, what I would say is are the main highlights well cooking and traveling you must be cool you must be fun and cool to hang out with all at the same time well i really look forward to getting back to traveling i haven't traveled in for this whole covid so i'm ready i'm ready to get back out there and when i do it'll be uh probably more domestic travel for a while but i love international travel if i can get back to that i would love it oh, very good in your life, beyond your, your mom, who else were some of those that served as an example to you in service and leadership? You know, definitely my mom was number one. And then my mother-in-law, she always uh, led with her faith and um, it showed in everything that she did. Um, my mother-in-law worked in the school system um, for for her entire career. And one note, one thing that I noted as a you know, once I joined the family was the fact that she was always bringing into the schools, into the grade schools, food. She would collect food in the neighborhood, bring it in and make sure those had a meal. And that was really inspirational. She was not there for the paycheck. She was there to make a difference. And I could see that that was why she was there. She started out um, as a teacher's aide and really stayed for her career in the school system. Um, other women, uh, of course, were through church that were inspirational. Um, growing up in the church, I had um, mentors, women that I just believed 
their passion for, you know, for their religion and passion for community service stuck with me, resonated with me. And then, of course, even in my own career path, I had uh, women managers that were inspirational to me to see that really there was no there was no limit to what I could do. I had one um, manager specifically um, early on in my career that really uh, she was an inspiration in the sense that she defied at the time what a manager could be. She was really a mentor to me, helping me learn, helping me grow and helping me succeed. So there's been a lot of women, obviously. (laughs) One of the things that sticks out about who you are as a professional, just as a human being, but also as a a professional, this is a series that's titled Women in Leadership, is mentorship is very, very important to you. When you're mentoring anyone, what are some of the pieces of leadership you're trying to deposit into them? You know, that is a really good question. I look back at all the mentoring I I have done in my professional career, just as an example. And uh, for me, the satisfaction that I gained from mentoring was in seeing someone who thought they couldn't do it, do it. So helping them overcome the barriers, the barriers that are mostly in your mind, the barriers that say, I can't do it, Um, helping someone create a roadmap on how to get there. So, um, you know, in my medical sales uh, for a long time, I was, um, you know, a high achiever in in medical sales. And when I joined as a a leader and a trainer, what that allowed me to do was help somebody who was stuck couldn't get past that barrier, really see what they had within them. And to really kind of focus on that being assertive, really being that person who you could be if you just gave yourself that chance. And sometimes it was more about making sure that the educational tools were there. Uh, For me, growing up um, in the 80s, uh, as a a college graduate, we didn't have computers. We had to do everything on the typewriter. And so sometimes it was just learning the right, having the right tools in your tool belt. So I had to educate myself along the way on, um, you know, computers. I took a lot of classes and just making sure that if there were some voids in a person, like a person uh, could see that maybe they didn't have that skill. And that was really um, intimidating to re- take a class about that. There's so many courses you can take to help you overcome barriers. So uh, a lot of times it was me helping, but a lot of times it was getting someone resources so they could help themselves. You know, I really appreciate what you just said because good leaders are also good trainers. And good leaders that are good trainers impart the message of the need to connect to the proper resources for learning and advancement and success in whatever area, whatever the the topic is, um, what would you say, uh, Marcy, to women in leadership, young aspire, young women are aspiring to grow in the arena of leadership, their need to really look at this component of leader, trainer, connector of resources? 
Um, I would say that it is important to always keep keep open to opportunity and open to learning. And if you feel like I, I can just think of instances in my career going back where I thought, wow, if I'm going to keep up with those around me who are who grew up with technology, I need to be better. I need to learn. So I would take courses. I took through Lane Community College, I took the Microsoft Office Specialist courses on my own time because I felt like I needed those skills. I needed to be able to do a PowerPoint presentation. And thank goodness I did because now I am teaching virtually and I'm using PowerPoint and I'm presenting to 50, 60 people at a time. So those are skills that the companies that you work for aren't going to teach you. If you don't have them, you need to learn them. So I would say just keeping up on technology, keeping up on um, just always growing with self-help, with learning tools, education. I just don't think you ever stop learning. So always be open to learning and trying and failing. Failing is a part of learning too. Very good. Good, good, good message points. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. What was it? you liked working in committees and groups why you know i always liked the uh, going all the way back when i started writing this bio it really challenged me to think back and to really see where i've come so i, I appreciate that having to write that i had not written a bio before other than what was on my resume so this was really a good educational experience for me um what i would say about committees and groups is just the interaction, working within a team, making a difference, um, taking on a leadership role, um, delegating tasks to others. Uh, I just feel like it's, you know, you don't want to do it alone. Going alone isn't going to make a difference. You got to be part of a group. And so early on, I, I enjoyed being part of work groups. And to this day, I'm still on committees. I had committees. I'm on one right now at my career, uh, my current career, which will be my lifetime career, I believe at this point, um, where I am um, a leader in um, basically surveying my coworkers in my department on improvements, um, access to healthcare, and really making a difference in the lives of all of us caregivers is what we're all called at our at our position, whether we're a nurse, whether we're a salesperson, whether we're a top level manager, we're all called caregivers because we all provide care in our roles, no matter where we serve. So um, I think that being a part of a group is is really the best way to get the, the best out of everybody, really. Could you say that last part again? I want to write that down about being, uh, being a part of a group is you really get the best parts of everybody when you're with a group working within a group you know my way isn't always going to be the best way but by the time you talk with everybody and you come together as a group you come up with a plan and then you recognize other people's um, opinions you recognize their challenges and a diverse group brings more to the table than just one person so Diversity is really key, I think, in a work group, too. You want people from different walks of life and from all backgrounds, as well as different roles within an organization to really make it an effective work group. 
That's one of the things I really miss about military life, Marcy, is the people from all over the, the all parts of life. Life and living and faith system or no faith system, socioeconomic background, whatever it was, learning to come together as a team and within the ethos of military service to accomplish the mission. You said being a part of the group, you get the best parts of everybody. And the most important thing, uh, secondarily to that, that I wrote down is you learn to recognize others. Quality leaders learn to recognize the qualities in others and how to work with them, employ those into positions, deploy those skill sets into contending with, with challenges. And I really, I really appreciate the, uh, your responses it makes me there's this saying on this uh, poster that says you can go faster alone but you go further together right i love that yeah and you you are definitely modeling with your life going further together there's a book called why geese fly further than eagles have you ever read that book it's a small book i have not Look that up. I think you that's a perfect example of who you are, why geese fly further than eagles. Um, what did you enjoy? For those that are listening, I'm asking Marcy now some of the questions off of the list. What did you enjoy about volunteering with the children in the kindergarten class who needed help? Beyond some of the things that you've said, what are some of the other aspects that you really enjoyed about being with these children? Uh, well, definitely reaching out to children who were disadvantaged. I, I know I mentioned that earlier, but that stands out. Uh, nurturing them, uh, showing them that they can do it. Uh, the, there's a lot of fear when when you when you're a student who isn't getting that attention, whether it's at home or whether it's within the classroom. Uh, maybe they're falling through the cracks that student really needs just a little bit of help. And to see a child light up when they see that they got it, when they see that they could do it, just the confidence, just building confidence in a student because having that confidence makes you more open to learning. Um, the fear that you bring into the classroom when you're a young child and you see everybody else can do it and I can't do it, I think creates an obstacle it, it really has that child thinking they're not good enough. And to see that child kind of make that shift in their thought process, like, oh, I can do this, you know, uh, I can do this and, and, and hugging these children and just giving them, my problem was the attachment. I would get attached to these children and I knew that I couldn't take them home with me. So I had to <laughs> learn and let them go and let them thrive. But you know, there were many ch children to this day in my mind that I think about the ones that had an impact on me. And I think it was for me, I think I got just as much, if not more out of it than the children did. So it made me feel so good to to know that I could do that and have that impact. I think it's important what you said regarding that recognizing when there's fear and why, whether you're a child just like with your current client base or the thing, the fears you had to overcome to become more competent, more efficient, more proficient. 
good leaders have to be able to recognize fear and why it's present and understand that they have the opportunity to do something about it. Right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about what did you enjoy about Girl Scouts and what were some of your favorite merit badges? You know, I what I enjoyed the most, I think, was uh, starting, obviously, early on as a daisy, going through brownies and juniors and cadets. I had that opportunity to really grow within the system. But as a daisy, it, it really taught me about friendship and about how I could be a better friend and just girls that I never would have talked with in class I was able to become friends with. And I'll tell you to this day, I have a lifelong friend who lives at the other side of the country, but not a day goes by that I don't think of her and not a week goes by that we don't talk to each other. Um, she is a lifelong friend and she grew up in a family that was broken. And um, really she, she didn't grow up with a lot of means, but she was at our house a lot. She was always felt safer at our house. And I still, to this day, it's, it's wonderful. She always wants to see my parents when she comes to town. She says they're her family. They are, they made an impact in her life because it taught her stability. It taught her traditional values. And uh, she was the friend that I met through scouting that probably I wouldn't have been friends with. So I think that um, that that's huge. I, we've been friends now for what, 50 years, almost 50 years. So wonderful. And she's thriving. She's in a great, um, great family environment and has her own, uh, her daughter's getting married next week. So we have some things that we're, we're talking about with that. So um, also what I liked was the camping, the outdoor activities. It's, it's taught me that to this day, I love camping. I love being outside. I love hiking. I think I learned that from scouting. I never camped before I was a scout. This really opened up my eyes as to how much fun it could be being outside. Um, as far as the merit badges, boy, I loved them all. I, I collected them. I had a full vest. So I, the cookie, the cookie merit pins, um, I loved the, the first aid. I never was interested in learning first aid until I had the chance to earn a badge because of it. Mm -hmm. um, camping, the cooking badges, cooking on a Bunsen burner, you make those little coffee pot burners that you take camping. Um, yeah, I loved all of those. Uh, and to me, having the more badges meant I was more successful. So I was always on working on a badge. <laughs> Girl Scout cookies, which one is your favorite? I love them. What did you enjoy about the sales process at such a young age? And why were you good at it? Yeah, great questions. Um, you know, I really loved the challenge and the competition. When one of my, I think back to one of the other gals that uh, was a really top cookie sales gal as well as myself, and she was my competition. She set the bar for me because if she could do it, I could do one better. So I think early on, it just, it was innate. It was something where I felt like I, I needed it. I, I needed to hit my goal and I would spend more hours than a lot of my peers out door to door um, selling. And even as a troop leader, set the goals high as my, for my own troop. 
but definitely the mint. Mint cookies were my favorite by far. And obviously they've, stand, they've stood the test of time. So they, there must be something to the mint. <laughs> you know, people might be thinking, what's this? What's this guy's emphasis on Girl Scouts? Well, I'm, the <laughs> emphasis is her leadership development and not yeah. just her leadership development, but the leadership development as a, as a troop, as a group, and those that were around them and how our leadership development, uh, how it is formed within us through the experiences in which we lived. So this is why I want to talk about this because I, for one, know the power of scouting and I believe in it. And so I want to draw out from her some of her positive experiences. Now, what did you enjoy and learn from your Girl Scout as a leader when your girls were involved in the process? Well, I always felt like I could inspire young girls. Um, I recognized that we're all different, but we have so many ways that we're similar. And so really emphasizing that and bringing my own girls through Girl Scouts uh, was a way for me to show them really the lessons and the skills that I had attained over the years. Um, really reminding girls that they could contribute positively in, the, in their lives and the lives of others and to really serve it really you look back at the girl scout honor you know the promise on my honor i will try to serve god in my country to help people at all times and live by the girl scout law so really it was all about helping people i think it speaks to who who i was and am and trying to instill those values in my own uh children as well as those girls that they you know, obviously within the school system. You know, I started a troop at a uh, school that had not had a troop before. And so it was a new, it was a new venture. And so I, um, it, it really was a great opportunity for you know, reaching out to a lot of girls that just didn't have those opportunities at home and throughout the school system. Yeah, I took over a Cub Scout pack at Maple Elementary in Springfield when I got out of the Army who uh, their leaders had stepped down and that was that was a journey but this is your story and not mine so I'll end it there <laughs> that. no worries yeah no we have this in common that's great though because you see the value of it and certainly i hope that scouting stands the test of time and, and survives i know there's been challenges recently uh but certainly i think the values the traditions are there and they need to be kept and, and really, uh, I hope that they stay as strong, you know, in the future as they were in the past. Do you see, in your opinion, what are your thoughts? Um, I know a lot of young girls and moms that are now involved in Boy Scouting as opposed to Girl Scouting. They find the Boy Scouting program more interesting, rigorous, uh, engaging. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, I felt like my scouting experience was all of those things. Um, I really believe it comes down to who the leader is. Um, I, I can speak for one experience um, in scouting. I'm glad you actually asked that because it just dawned on me this one, one topic that I failed to write about was the fact that I, my girls, when they were young, my oldest, I put her into a troop and it was a troop in a different different school, not the school that I started the troop in. And 
they there was no, no activity nothing was going on it was sort of like going through the motions and i thought well something is not right here this is not you're not getting what i would expect you to get out of this and that kind of led me to starting that troop at, at the other school um so i i look back and i think well it, it really the 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 difference is who your leader is and if you're in a troop where you're not getting what you need out of it or your kids are not getting what they need out of it look for another troop because you can switch troops you can find one that's really active in the community. You can find one that, that you can tell the leader is passionate. Um, and if you're finding that you're just not enjoying scouting, that's probably the problem. It's probably that you need a, you need to switch. You need to find a leader that that is there for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, neither Marcy or I are paid... Uh by the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts of America to have this ongoing conversation. I wanted to say that, but it is an enjoyable right. one nonetheless because this is about leadership and I know the power of leadership and scouting. And from the lessons you learned as you were a Girl Scout as a child, going through the ranks, now you're a Girl Scout leader. What were some of the lessons that helped you as you mature that you drew from? Okay, some of the lessons from scouting that I that I utilize in my career. Is that what you mean? Yeah, or yes, as, as you mm -hmm. matured in life, because I know mm -hmm. I, I could list off a list of things that I learned as a scout that helped me. Yeah, right. Wow, I know there's a lot. Um, really, it's um, the skills as far as um, really being part of a team, serving, uh, being good to other people, respecting myself, respecting others, um, really the teamwork approach, but also being a leader. This, the skills that I learned um, as a leader were just accepting that we're all different, um, but still we all have an impact. We can all make a difference together. Um, the values, obviously, honesty, fairness, we're all instilled in Girl Scouts, being friendly and helpful, um, considerate, compassionate, being strong and courageous. You know, those are all skills that I think that we bring to all areas of our life that we learn in scouting. And being responsible for what you do and say, uh, really respecting yourself, respecting others, and just, you know, using resources wisely. Those are all things that really you take from scouting into your life. So they're all valuable, transferable skills in everything from being a parent, being a, a mother, being a wife, being a, a coworker, being a leader. I think those are all valuable that you take with you, be, making the world a better place. Yeah, I remember from Boy Scouts, uh, do a good deed every day. Yep. Do a good deed every day. And the motto of be prepared. Are you ready to take the be lead? Be prepared. Be prepared, right? right? So I, those yeah. are definitely some of the things that I, I walked away with from that I remember throughout my lifetime. Now, what were some of the observations? Now, this is about leadership. So this is, we're honing in on this for a reason. Uh, Marcy has a life of leadership from her childhood to where she is now. And as she has declared, she will go out that way, loving, serving, leading, and giving. 
What were some of the observations you made about the process of Girl Scouting that helped your daughters and the other girls that you led? Well, I think that for me, it was the fact that Girl Scouting really helped me to see the valuable how I could be a value, what, what I had to share, what I had to give. And I was hoping that my girls would see that as well. It would instill in them that they had confidence, things they didn't think they could do, they really could do. Um, fear holding you back. Um, it really became about growing as an individual and how you could be better and how you could give and how you could be a better sister to those around you. And so we take all that into the world and it makes us better. It makes us better stewards. It makes us better givers, uh, community leaders. Um, that's really why I, I involve my, my own girls. And um, they're, li they're living in a time definitely that's different than I grew up in. There's much more social media. And it's, I'm grateful that I grew up with all, without all of that, because I felt like it was a lot easier, not necessarily, maybe easier is not the right word, but we grew up in a time where we didn't have all those distractions, mm -hmm. where people were posting things about us. And so now I, you know, I, I've seen in my own girls' lives growing up that they've had more challenges in that way. But um, I think it keeps us grounded and it keeps us looking at you know, the traditional values and how we as girls can grow into strong adults and make good decisions in our own lives and helping those around us and seeing the fact that, um, you know, one of the the factors with my own girls and Girl Scouts, I remember we would sponsor families in need during the holidays and just seeing the impact that had on them to see that they could make a difference. They could help those other kids. They could help those children that maybe didn't have the family they had. So trying to let them see the diverse, you know, not, not everybody's like you. So I know I kind of went off on a tangent, but there was a lot there on my mind. I was trying to get all that out. <laughs> no, that, that's, really, that's really good because this is a series yeah. about leadership, especially women in leadership. And I think mm -hmm. that you know, social media side, how our te technology has changed our ability to have interactions and how we have those interactions. Leadership is still leadership and it's still required. And that we have to concern ourselves as much about our development, our emotional development, intellectual development, social development, which we are losing because of social media. And we're, yes. we're confusing the skill set of being able to manipulate social media as a legitimate skill set of loving, serving, interacting, and giving of yourself to other in, in a real relationship. And leadership is about real relationship. Effective leadership is about real relationship. Let's pivot a little bit. Let's pivot to you've been, you've held various positions, you volunteered in many ways. In your leadership development, what are some of the things that you learned in your in your training of volunteers? You train people. This is part of who mm -hmm. you are. Uh, mm -hmm. What have you learned in this process of, of leadership and of people when you as as you train volunteers and from your various positions? Mm -hmm. Well, I know for me, what I learned was patience and having empathy for others. I mean, certainly 
one thing I would say is that not everybody learns as fast. And so I know for me, picking up on something quickly doesn't mean someone else is going to pick up on something quickly. And so it's really taught me that I've had to be more patient, um, more and more understanding. Um, not everybody learns the same way. Uh, so obviously learning patterns, uh, you know, you're going to have those learn learners that are going to learn by seeing, by doing. And so I think that what it's done is it just has opened up my eyes as to not, there isn't one way to teach someone something. So for me, it was about, okay, let's look at this person. Let's see what their skill set is. And where, where can I help with that? Where can I help them see the value and what they have and what they bring to the table. So there's going to be those people who are more extroverts, more introverts, and some are more shy and maybe they're not going to, maybe they think they can't be a leader because they're shy. And that's certainly not the, the case. Uh, I, I can go back into my own past and I was terrified of speaking in front of large groups as a child into high school and in high in college I had to learn to get over that because I was in a, a field of marketing and management where I had to give presentations and I was terrified um, I had to learn that I had to get past that and teach myself that and so I really believe that no matter what type of if you're more introverted, if you're more extroverted, you have the opportunity to get beyond those fears that hold you back and help you become that that leader. And I know for me, I speak in front of very large groups now, and I've completely surpassed that. That memory sometimes will come back to haunt me, but um, I, I learned to get past that. And I, I try to help my those that I mentor get past those fears as well. I think that's really important, everything you just said. And I would just like to express, maybe it's my, uh, my pet peeve is beyond the opportunity to become a greater and more effective communicator as a leader. There's a responsibility to become a more effective communicator. You cannot lead. You cannot manage effectively or properly. You cannot train. You cannot teach. If you are a poor communicator in how you interact with others, you, uh, you, we will limit our potential and our put boundaries on our capacities that may not necessarily been there, be there, all because we refuse to do as you did. You learn to face that fear, overcome that fear, to, to develop this new skill set. I believe that wholeheartedly hardly what you said, yes, you can be more of an introvert and still be a good leader, but we have to become better communicators to be good leaders or we're just, it's never going to work out. Right. I just wanted to say that because I see too many people hiding behind personality testing these days. And personality good testing point. is good. It tells you some things about yourself and others. But one thing I appreciate about the military, Marcy, is they didn't make excuses about your personality. They trained you. They developed you. You had a duty and a responsibility to live up to. And that was it. You know, so I think right. that part of leadership is accepting uh, that sometimes it's very uncomfortable and it's very hard. But we have to we have to do it anyway. What is right? Do you want to add to that? 
No, I was just thinking to um, one of the challenges that I had uh, for, for a long time was talking too much, talking, using words to fill in quiet moments. And I have had to learn as a leader to listen more and talk less. And sometimes I have to bite my tongue to do so. I say, okay, let, let the person speak because really you don't want to be that person who's filling in. I, I work with some folks like this that really do believe that they need to be heard, but they don't listen to what everybody else's opinions are. So I really think that that's something I've had to really practice, slowing down, listening, pausing. And sometimes I actually need to write in my scripts when I'm doing my seminars, pause here, ask questions because it is not great to be an information dumper. Nobody wants to hear you talk. They want to be heard. And you need to be able to listen to be able to be effective. Yes, the nuances of effective two-way communication are critical. You're, you're absolutely 100% correct that we have to be able to listen as well as uh, express ourselves. That too is effective uh, leadership and required to be effective as a leader. Now, <clears throat> as you've trained volunteers, as you've trained others, what have you learned about yourself? One of the things you just mentioned. I've, yes, I have learned that that you know it's okay that we're all different. It's okay that this person isn't like me, uh, but we're going to build on their skill set. I've learned that I can be compassionate. I can be a really good leader by not trying to change someone, but just trying to help them. And so what it's taught me is that there is no one set guideline on what makes that person a good leader or what makes me a better leader. It's just, let's bring that out of that other person. And so to me, I've learned that we all can be different, but we can all be good. We can all be effective. Very good. Let's talk about, it's kind of a big question, number 12, because there's a lot of young mothers, young families out there, new parents mm -hmm. and involved in the workforce. So let's talk about how you raise your daughters and manage to work and be a spouse. Your husband is equally high, as high achieving as you are. Mm -hmm. What are three things you believe are important to other young women who are entering the professional ranks and maybe a mother and wife? Yes. And, you know, I gave this question a lot of thought because it's it was really tough to just come up with three, three items. But I chose the ones that I felt were the most important and what have made me successful and what have made me who I am. And number one is balance, recognizing that you can't do it all. You can't you have to have a good balance in your life. And that goes for every facet of your life. It has to be your professional career, yes, but your family life has to thrive. Your health has to thrive. Your emotional, spiritual, physical, all of you, you need to find a balance. And if you don't, you're gonna have problems. Um, I had some health issues I had to face and it was because I was off balance and I realized, okay, now I know what my priorities are. I know I have to be in balance or I can't give. Mm -hmm. 
I can't give of myself if I'm not taking care of myself. So that was number one. Number two was really having a strong support system. And this could be family. It could be friends. It could be your, your place of worship. It could be um, another organization you're a part of. You need to have a strong support system. You need people. You can't go it alone. So I think that's really, really crucial. And then, of course, number three was just really kind of stems from balance, but it's taking good care of yourself. It's about making sure that you get rest, that you have uh, physical and, and good health um, and, and taking care of yourself first so that you can be more for others. So really, I think that those are the main three lessons that I've learned and I haven't always done them well. Because when I started out in career, I was career focused. I mean, that came first. I was, I was ready to achieve. And then I realized, okay, now my body's telling me something. I need to work on my health. So I have learned to find a balance and appreciate the fact that I need downtime, that I need time to volunteer, that I need time to work, but I also need time to rest. And I think that you all, everybody has to, to, to do that. I think during COVID, it sort of taught all of us that it isn't all about one thing. It's about finding the good balance. But I, if I had learned that earlier on, I think I would have been even better. I had to learn that through trials and tribulations. But uh, I also felt, felt like um, my career, I was able to find a balance when I started my family because of having that support system and having parents, my own parents and my in-laws that helped me with my children while I was working. And I was in an industry that appreciated flex time workers and really appreciated the fact that you could still work and you could still be effective, but not working um, 40 hours a week. I was about 24 hours for the first two years of each of my children's lives, and it allowed me to be home more to help them and have that um, family system supporting me in the background. So I think the support system is huge, whether it's your family, your friends, that's really a lot. I'm sorry, I really kind of went off on a lot of tangents there. But I really think it comes down to, like I said, balance, support system and your health. Well, I knew that would be a challenge for you to narrow down three. But I did that. <laughs> I know, because, I know, I tried, struggled. Well, because but I, I know, you know, you're in the season of life that you're in right now, you've seen some things. You've been through some mm -hmm. things. And it would give you a different clarity that you you wouldn't have if I asked you that same question 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, I remember what, exactly. when, yeah, well, when I met you 20 years ago, one of my first observations of you that I could cognitively recognize is that I thought you were like uh, a razor. You were sharp, man. You were, <laughs> you were about business. You were about T make taking care of business you were about doing what you were supposed to get done at a very high level those are those are my memory of after meeting you I think it was at your house with your husband we we're going to training but I remember that was my first observation about you is that man that is one serious woman right there <laughs> right <laughs> yep <laughs> That's true. And yeah. I've evolved. I'm still that woman, but I have a little softer side now. So 
Now, what were some of the things you did to take care of yourself with all of the demands on your life as a professional, as a mom, and as a wife? Well, that, that again, um, I think when you have a wake-up call with a health issue, it really forces you to stop and, and, and think. And um, really being active, resting, eating well, not taking for granted good health makes you appreciate things. Um, so I didn't always have good health, but I feel like I was forced into finding balance. So my lesson obviously is try to find balance before you get sick. But if your body does start to give out on you, it's telling you, you need to stop and reprioritize. So resting, making sure that I did take vacations, I would skip vacations to finish a work project, uh, family time crucial. You have to make time for that. You have to make time to, to your, for your spiritual life. You can't put that on hold for later. Um, really, it changed my family, changed my, my marriage and my career by putting things into balance. And when you set limits too, then you don't feel like those, those people around you that expect you to just take on, take on the world, they, they kind of realize you have limits. And so I've been better about setting limits and what I can take on. That's important that we, my wife has said recently in the last several years, the comment that you made that you can't do it all. You you have to manage and prioritize. And I've watched her now for the last 10 years of her law practice, the immense amount of pressure she's been under and having to come to that place where she's understanding she does have boundaries and she does have limits to what she can do emotionally, physically, intellectually, psychologically, spiritually, and and uh, you might get away with it for a while, but sooner or later that adrenal gland is going to shut down on you. It's going to cause it a whole lot of problems. Your your endocrine system will go into a, a rebellion and open revolt uh, within you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Marcy, in your estimation, in the workforce as it is now, in the season of life that you're in now, two young women seeking uh, higher achievement or higher callings. In your opinion, is it more important for young women in the workforce to have a plan or to be more willing to take on new challenges? Well, that one was another challenging question for me because I really do believe it's a little bit of both. You can always have a plan, but it is going to be subject to change. Um, I unfortunately in the medical industry went through a couple downsizings that was not part of my career path, but downsizings are inevitable when you work in, um, especially in the medical field, those things happen, but you just pick up and move on. So I would say you can have a plan, but it's subject to change and, and recognizing that life's challenges health wise, industry wise, maybe family, maybe there's an unexpected uh, birth in the family that you weren't expecting. Uh, you can have a great plan, but you need to be willing to adapt and be flexible. So uh, really, you might, you could call it a backup plan, I guess, but really be willing to take on challenges when they come to you. So for me, I, when, I, when I mentioned in my bio that I really didn't have a set career path, I knew I was going to be in marketing. I knew I was going to be in management and I knew I was going to volunteer. 
but what led me, it was the right timing from my each avenue of my career. Um, I was fortunate to um, move and make shifts in my career at the right times in my life. So when you are starting a family, you might be in a different place than you were before you started your family. And so you have to be willing to take on a new challenge. And it's risky going from you know, a really high powered, I was in advertising sales for a long time and, and did very, very well and enjoyed that career, but it took a lot out of me. I was at the point where, okay, flex time. If I want to be a good mom, I need to be around more. So I was really willing to take on a new challenge and I stayed active in my professional life so that I, I was able to move forward when I was ready. And by moving from uh, one company to a leadership role at another company allowed me to train and mentor, and I never lost track of my career. I just wasn't doing it as many days of the week. So it, it, it allowed me to still be professional, but still be a better, better at all the roles in my life. So I really don't think that, I mean, you can have a plan, uh, but you just have to be willing to see opportunities that present themselves and, and, and how they fit into the timing of your life. That's crucial. <clears throat> the, the next question was regarding this area, because I wanted, hopefully you can expand on that a little more. What would you say mm -hmm. to the young women professionals regarding changing industries? Some of the things to be careful of, as well as to be looking for in their ongoing mm -hmm. development. Yes. Um, industry changes so obviously as we as we progress technology is changing things and so the careers that like for instance my first career right out of the get-go was right from college was print advertising a lot of that has moved and evolved it's moved into more electronic it, it's a different avenue it's a different type of industry so you just have to kind of keep educating yourself and kind of going where where the you know taking those skills that you have and using them in the industries where you can be challenged and in the industries that are growing um, I would have never thought, looking back into the 80s, that I was going to be uh, serving the senior population in Medicare. But I'll tell you, it is such a needed position. It's There's so much out there that is really challenging for a lot of these seniors, especially those that are alone. They don't have the family support system and don't know where to go. Um, and, and you see senior fraud and you see people, my own grandmother had, um, before she passed, had had someone take advantage of her uh, financially. So you see these things happen and you just feel like you can help and you can make a difference. And the changing industries are going to happen. I mean, 20, 30, 40 years from now might look completely different to where we are uh, currently. But I think that it's important that you take all the skills that you learn over the years, they're all transferable skills, and just be open, be open to changing industries. If the opportunity presents itself, and if there's an industry out there that is just, you know, like now with green energy, there's going to be a whole plethora of opportunities in leadership and in um, 
coming up with new avenues for energy. And I think that you just, you need to be open to that because your industry may not, you know, may not be as um, vital or it may, you know, it may go away. So it's important that you're open to that. And so you think that it's a good idea for young women professionals, any of us, regardless of gender, or background, we should be looking into the future for how how our industry is shifting and adapting and changing, and how can we best prepare ourselves to be futurist, so to speak, in our professional development. Yes. Okay. What would you say to young women about the need for training and professional development? It doesn't all have to be the same. Uh, we know that college is not the only way. There are many ways to get an education. There, there are many, many ways to, to skin a cat, so to speak, and mm -hmm. get, sending your sending oneself into emotion, uh, excuse me, financial debt that they might not have. Uh, it's not always a, the best idea. So, what are some of your recommendations to young women that are in the workforce about training and professional development? Right. You know, I can I can tell you that college is just one part of it. Obviously, you learn what you learn in college and then you're you're sent out into the world to find your way. So you need to train and develop along your your career path, whether it's uh, training through your own organization, whether you take courses on your own. Um, a lot of the volunteering that you you do helps you develop a lot of these skills. You know, joining organizations like United Way, uh, working within the school system, um, you know, even kids sports. I had a great opportunities that allowed me to learn and grow within our own uh, kids sports system. So I think that um, training and development happen through every avenue of your life. You can seek them through school. You can seek them through uh, other positions to challenge yourself, to learn and grow. Uh, you know, when I looked at um, opportunities as I've gone through my life uh, within volunteering, I look for things that where I can use what I have, but also learn from other people. So it's like, okay, if I put myself there, I'm going to really, this is going to help me surpass this, this skill or, or help me, you know, learn something about an industry I never would have learned. So I just think you never stop growing, you never stop learning. And I'm still to this day taking courses on, um, you know, like our healthcare system right now is completely different than it was back when I started in my career. And I'm learning, uh, of the little, um, I guess the cracks, the cracks in the system and where we can fix those cracks and where can we find access for everybody for healthcare. And so I'm always looking at and taking courses and reading online ways that I can learn and develop and, and become a better leader and make, make some major changes in our world. So that's, that's pretty, pretty big deal. Do you have any hobbies? I know that what question wasn't on the list, but do you have any hobbies? Uh, how does that play into the sobriety of leadership? Well, the hobbies that I have, um, really, I, I love to read. I, I read, I'm always reading something. Um, I really love to plan like traveling. I love, I, I think part of the 
leadership role that basically all the leadership skills that I have helps me plan. It helps me plan everything from meal planning to cooking at home to um, the next travel that I want to take on. How should I schedule our trip? Because I, again, it's all about the planning and the details. I find that those things move over into my hobbies. Um, but really, uh, I think that my hobbies are really besides reading and traveling and cooking, it's about better ways to improve my health, uh, ways to, you know, promote wellness. Um, I'm always looking at like this new, there's this new Alzheimer drug. I'm fascinated by it. I'm learning about it. I'm reading about it because that's something that runs in the family. And I want to see where we're going as a world, what I can learn. Um, these are all hobbies that, you know, all stem to making, making differences and making, um, making changes in our world. So, so, so then you do have hobbies that, are, that don't include going to deck games and going to their away games. That's very true. I do. I went to the, I, for a long time, I went to every duck game and I kind of had to cut back a little bit, but I still love going to duck games. Absolutely. I, I I remember that about you and Matthew and always going to their games in different places. And if they played in a bowl game, you guys would go. And I thought that was really cool. That's very true. For a while there, we didn't miss a bowl game. We even took our young children, even in diapers. They came along with us. Um, what would you like to say to your family for all the support they've given you over the years? To your mom, your dad, your mother-in-law. Wow. Well, words can't—I can't even put that into words. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for who I am today, because I really believe that I wouldn't be who I am today without them. Um, they've made such an impact on my life. I miss my mother-in-law every day. You know, we lost her a few years back, and um, the impact is there. I would just say thank you. Much love, gratitude, and appreciation. What would you like to say to your daughters? Well, I would love to say to them um, that they, they are beautiful inside, they're beautiful outside, and that they have the world at their fingertips. They can make a difference to always be true to themselves. Um, always give back, always look at a way to grow, always learn, challenge yourself, always respect yourself, respect others, and um, and just be happy. I, I've always stressed that, you know, you choose the career that makes you happy, not what makes someone else happy. You, you look at what they're both completely different, both of my daughters. They have different um, skill sets and different passions. And I just feel like they need to go after what makes them happy, not what makes someone else happy. So a lot of, lot of I'm excited to watch them grow. They're just getting started. So I'm excited to see what they do. What would you like to say to Matthew? Oh my gosh. Thank you for everything, for sticking with me through the good, the bad, the ugly. We've been through it all. And that I look forward to the next chapter that we have together because we are um, 
we have had a great life together and I know we have a great future together. However much time we're given on this earth, um, we're going to do it together. And I just can't imagine not having him in my life. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today, Marcy Dombrowski. It's been my great privilege and distinct honor to interview you today, hear more of your life journey, your life story. I want to thank our sponsor, Molina Law Group, local immigration practice here in Springfield, Oregon. They've got an office in Beaverton and Cottage Grove. You can find Molina Law Group on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Their phone number 541-653-8899. You can call them for any needs you have in the area of immigration law, student visa, fiance visa, worker, work permit, citizenship, citizenship and residency. Marcy, what an honor. I have just thoroughly loved this conversation. I can't believe it's taken us so long to have it, but we had it and I'm very glad that we did. Uh, thank you for all the great work you've done your entire life for so many others. And I'm looking forward to what the next chapter of learning has for you so that you can share that journey back with us in the future. And I've learned a lot today from you and your leadership example and your leadership message about making sure that I too am doing, continuing to do the very hard work towards self-improvement and self-preparation for the challenging opportunities and rewarding opportunities that are ahead. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. I really enjoyed this as well. I really appreciate your time and what you're doing. You're bringing a lot of value and I can't believe we've wait, waited this long as well. So we'll have to do better. Very good. We'll, we'll make sure we'll connect. <laughs> so have a good day. If you see Matthew, you tell, too. Him, you tell him I said hello. I will. Right. I will. Thank you, Mark. All right. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.